Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. You can't have racism without race. But what exactly is race? I won't bore you with the dictionary definition. We all know those often come up short. But it's safe to say that the concept of race has historically been propagated and manipulated by people with an agenda. For years, they pushed ideas about the differences between black, white, and brown that are flatly disproven by modern science. Alan Templeton of Washington University was one of the people who helped change the thinking on this subject. He is the Charles Rebstock Professor Emeritus of Biology and Statistical Genomics. And for many years, he's been one of the key scholars showing that race in humans is a social, not biological, concept. Getting to that realization relied on pushing past the surfaces and examining humans just like you might any other animal. Alan Templeton spoke to our producer, Evie Hemphill, this past Friday. He explained in layman's terms what first convinced him that we weren't thinking about race in the right ways. One of the things you notice right away working both with non-humans and humans is all the criteria that have traditionally been used were very different for humans and for everything else on this planet. And so I thought that's really uh, not scientifically justifiable particularly because genetics now gives us the tools to do the exact same kinds of studies on any species. So we can use the same criteria in humans that we would use in lizards, that we would use in elephants, that we would use in chimpanzees. And so that's how I really got into this. Uh, And also some experiences in Brazil where I lived for a while and worked, where the definitions of race are very different than in the United States. And it really kind of shook me up to realize that how I classified people was very much culturally learned and not inherently biological. That's Alan Templeton of Washington University. And he went on to explain this point that race's biological basis is much weaker than people had long believed. What you find is, is that all concepts of race or subspecies, as used for all the rest of the living world, require that our race is a geographically circumscribed population that is genetically very distinct from other populations in the species and it has very sharp geographical boundaries. And the first thing you notice when you look at humans is there aren't any sharp geographical boundaries. What you see in humans is that there is local genetic differentiation between different geographic areas but it doesn't have sharp boundaries. It's what we call clinal. It changes gradually over space. And this even includes when you look at the traits used most to identify race. So I worked with a group in Israel and we studied the, the skin color genes, the genes underlying skin color. And when you sample extensively over the whole world, what we saw was a gradual climb as you went from the equator to the higher latitudes, absolute latitudes. And you didn't see any breaks at all. Just this gradual change. And it really fit in well with the idea that skin color is mainly an adaptation to ultraviolet radiation. And that is Alan Templeton of Washington University. Now, Alan cautions that is not to say that racism isn't real. I'll let him explain. This concept of race is actually relatively recent in human history. So. Uh, And a lot of people aren't aware of that fact, so I'm glad you brought that out. But I do think, you know, what what has happened is, when you look at that history and why the concept of race arose, 
you don't really have races, but you have groups of people who were racialized. And they were racialized because basically other people wanted to exploit them and they used this as a justification. So we still have these racialized groups and racism. Those are real, even though race itself is not real. And so that's what I think we're dealing with. We have to deal with this in our country and in many other countries. And that, again, is Ellen Templeton of Washington University. And building on Ellen Templeton's work today is Dr. Joshua Swamidas. He's an associate professor of laboratory and genomic medicine. He's also at Washington University, and he joins us today to talk about it. So, Dr. Swamidas, welcome. Thanks for having me. So historically, people thought about race in ways that have now been thoroughly debunked. One of these ideas is the idea of polygenesis. What was that? Yeah, polygenesis, and, and it really is important because race, race as an idea really depends on a particular view of history, of how we got here, a particular view of origins. And polygenesis is the idea is that different races have different origins. And that explains why we see the differences today. And they're immutable. We can't really fix that. And that's maybe how God set it up or maybe how things evolved. But whatever the case, that's kind of the structure of reality. Even, even the word Caucasian has a theological origin because people thought when that term was coined that, the, that Noah's Ark was actually landed in the Caucasoid Mountains. And so all, all Europeans and white people, they thought, descended from Noah, but other people didn't. Hmm. And so that, that origin ends up supposed to be something that now explains differences we see today and just the natural order. And that gives a very strong justification for treating people differently. Well, and what do we know today that proves that polygenesis just simply could not be true? Well, there's several things. You know, uh, Dr. Templeton has uh, explained a few of them. And I, and I think he's been a key person uh, over the last several decades that's really, really been able to make some of that clear. But generally, we've seen that all, all of this notion of races being essentially biologically different in fundamental ways, or what people call uh, like an essential biological realism of race, that just doesn't hold up. Uh, he mentioned how we could take uh, ways how people thought about race and other animals and apply it to humans. Uh, so if you could take a genetic definition of a subspecies, for example, we find out that chimpanzees have multiple species. Hmm. Uh, but you take that same definition and apply it to humans, that same precise technical definition and apply it to humans, and, and it just doesn't really, it doesn't really show you species. There's, there's several different definitions, uh, clear, objective definitions of race uh, that you could use that people proposed. And you can see races in other animals, but when you apply it to humans, you don't see it. Is there some definition of th that we could redefine race so that it would work for humans? Or are you saying flat out this is impossible just based on what we know about the biology of people? There just aren't subgroups. Yeah, so there's a lot of debate about this, actually, amongst philosophers of biology. Uh, uh, I was recently talking to Quayshawn Spencer, and there's a recent book that came out, too, called Rethinking Race. One idea that's been put out is the idea of deflationary realism. The idea is that there maybe there's some biological reality in some narrow sense, but it doesn't, uh, it doesn't relate uh, to any of the things that we naturally think. So th th that is one possibility being discussed by, by including black scholars, too, the idea of a deflationary realism in, in a, opposed to like a central realism. 
But but what we can be certain of is our notions of race uh, don't map to biology in the way that we might think. They, hmm. they just don't. And, and they don't really provide any justification for how very recently people thought about race. If you go back just 100 years ago, uh, and, you know, you can see really across the spectrum, even amongst people that were abolitionists or desegregationists, that there was this idea that there was really essential biological differences between different races mm-hmm. and uh, differences in intelligence, even differences in levels of humanness and, and worth and dignity. Uh, and that was just taken for granted as true. Uh, and that, that understanding of race had a huge impact in how we set up society. And it just turns out not to be true. So I trust you on this because I myself am not a scientist. And I know you are. You know what you're talking about here. Yet it somewhat confuses me because I see everybody I know, they're doing their little swab for 23andMe um, <laughs> or these, these DNA type, uh, you know, ancestor registry sites. And they're saying that, you know, they've learned things about their ancestors based on this. If race isn't reflected in our DNA, if that concept turns out not to be true, what is going on with things like 23andMe? Well, that that question of 23andMe and these ancestry tests, a lot a lot of us uh, that understand genetics really see them as pretty close to a horoscope. Hmm. So, I mean... And that's not a good thing in your book. <laughs> no. I mean, the fact of the matter is that if you just go back a couple thousand years ago, uh, as you know, as, you know, I just wrote in my book, The Genealogical Adam and Eve, uh, we all share the same ancestors anyways. There's a really good book that just is about to come out by Adam Rutherford uh, called How to Argue with a Racist. <laughs> and he makes this point, too. It, it just turns out that uh, we think we were different families. And if we're going back, you know, th- tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of years. But the fact of the matter is, is that we're all the same family. <laughs> and that's important. Um, we, we tend to see one side of our city as one family and the other side as a different. But we're really all the same city. And that's how we have to start acting. And so when you're swabbing my DNA, um, are you able to tell what... I hate to use the word race because we now know that's that's not it's not what we think it is. But but what are you able to tell from that, and how is that different than race? So what we can do is we can tell a little bit about your history, about some of the lottery winners that gave you DNA. But the majority of people that are your ancestors didn't give you any DNA. So uh, so you can learn some things for sure. We can also understand. Uh, uh, what the DNA is that you personally have and where uh, a little bit we can learn more and more about where you got it from. But even in those, even in that, we have to be cautious because, for example, the people who live in America are very different than the people on average that lived in America a thousand years ago, right? Hmm. And so that's true, it turns out, across the world. So even when we talk about location, that's been malleable and changing because our ancestors moved around a lot. Hmm. So if they're telling me that, say, 10 percent of my heritage is from Eastern Europe, that depends on when we're looking at who was in Eastern Europe. Yes. And they're not clear about that. That's why it starts to be, like I said, a little bit more like a horoscope. Hmm. Uh, there's a, another really good book that I'd recommend called Who We Are and How We Got Here by David Reich at Harvard. Uh, he, 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 what he did is actually, along with many other scientists as well, but he went and got ancient DNA, which is, means that they looked up at human remains uh, throughout the globe, and they got these remains, and then they would sequence the DNA there, and then look to see how that compared with, with current populations and also what it told us about our past. 
And what they found out is that there's just an immense amount of movement and history and exchanges between people happening uh, throughout history that these aren't stable populations. And in fact, what's so interesting about it is we find evidence of historical events that were never recorded. Like what, <laughs> And for it's example? amazing. Oh, one of the more interesting ones that's, uh, uh, that there seems to be hints of, of course, there's always going to be debate if you don't have all of the evidence directly visible, but it seems like about 4,000 years ago that there was a big migration of people from India, where some of my ancestors were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess all of our ancestors were, but, you know, I'm Indian. But there was a migration of people from India to Australia. Uh, and that's possibly where uh, dingoes arose, because it's about that time where you see dingoes arise in the Australian record. So it's possible that that, it, that dingoes actually arose from dogs that came in on uh, boats from India. Huh. Isn't that cool? That is a, that's a good little uh, factoid I didn't think we'd be getting at in our conversation today. So uh, Yeah, but it's like a history, right, that happened, probably. Or, I mean, let's just say that it happened. But there's no, there's no written records of that history. And that's what's so interesting about how racism work, it works. It actually really requires us to forget, not just individually, but we're talking societally. This gets to the whole idea of the systemic side of it, mm-hmm. where we just forget and we lose uh, the true history of how connected we are. We're talking to Dr. Joshua Swamidas. He's an associate professor of laboratory and genomic medicine at Washington University. And Dr. Swamidas, I feel like people might hear your thoughts here or hear Professor, professor Templeton um, pushing back on the idea of human races in the biological sense. They might jump to the conclusion that you're on the side of those who say, I don't see race or racism isn't an issue. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I'd say is that we're approaching a grand question. That grand question is, what does it mean to be human? And I think when we approach a question like that, we should really expect all of the simple answers to be unsettled. (laughs) (laughs) And when we talk about race, the way it relates to that question is we're trying to ask, are there different types of humans? Mm -hmm. And, and, And in what ways also have we misunderstood how there are different types of humans? And there's a paradox here, because in many ways, race is real, but it's just not real in the biological sense as people have thought it to be in the past. It's race, it's real in different ways. Um, So some people propose it has to do with having physically identifiable characteristics that are somewhat connected to ancestry and, uh, and that have been racialized. And I think that's a really good and helpful term. Racialized is a verb, which means that we're talking about how we're actually trying to understand that in a way that that is negative about someone else. And so whether whatever we personally feel about race and race and and uh, and whatever, you know, the genetics tells us about race is undoubtable that that for example here in St. Louis that African Americans were racialized mm-hmm. in our history. That that's that's without doubt. Uh, and so that is real, and that's something that we have to really engage and figure out how to make sense of, how to talk about our differences in a way that doesn't that doesn't essentialize them and doesn't uh, and doesn't uh, and that, that's truthful and that celebrates them rather than using them as justification for keeping things the way they are or making them worse for some people. I want to go to the phone lines. Um, Neil is calling from St. Louis. Um, Neil, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Hi, you know, this guy's just wrong. There's a company called Parabon. I see many of these uh, forensic uh, criminal shows. They find human remains, and they can ascertain the race 
the approximate age and all. They can actually reconstruct it and tell you if it's a white person with certain hair color, a black person, or Chinese person. He's just wrong. You can look this up. P-A-R-A-B-O-N. You can detect racial characteristics from DNA. Neil, um, I'd, I'd love to have Dr. Swamidas respond to that. Um, thank you for that uh, assertion. Dr. Swamidas, what would you want to say in response to Neil saying you're wrong? Oh, yeah. So this is this is really great. I appreciate the question. It really gets down to even maybe what was happening earlier segment about definitions. So he's defined race in a particular way. And, and in fact, I completely agree with those studies. It's correct. If we look at a person's DNA, um, we, have a, we can get a good guess at their eye color. We can get a good cu- uh, guess at their skin color. We can get a good cu- guess at their hair color. Of course. And those are all racial characteristics, as he said. But we're getting now down to definitions. Does that mean that, uh, that the idea of race that people had 100 years ago, that this person is more human than a person who has different racial characteristics are true? Well, of course not. And I'm not even saying that he thinks that way. He's just working from a different definition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that idea of race in that way isn't actually something supported by genetics, even though our genetics does determine and is predictive, for example, of our skin color. Um, Neil, do you feel like what, what Dr. Swamidas is explaining there helps to sort of uh, satisfy your concern? No, because he's contradicting himself. He's saying on one hand, no, this is not real. But, but then he's saying what Parabon does, which is actual genetic testing, where they can find these characteristics, whether you're black or white or, or Chinese or, or you know or Native American, they can find these things out. So it is very real. So he's just, on one hand, he's saying it's not real, but then when he's confronted with actual evidence, then he says, oh, it is real. So... You know, I mean, uh, he's really, uh, you know, it, look, this guy sounds more like an activist. He sounds like one of these guys who, who takes place in one of these protests and he's trying to just push an agenda. He's not look. You, you should get somebody from Parabon on. They'll explain because I've seen them interviewed on this, you know, even on like uh, ABC News and stuff. And well, Neil, uh, thank you for that. And Parabon aside, I'm not familiar with that particular um, company. But Dr. Swamidas, I want to give you a, just another chance because Neil is obviously not persuaded by your uh, your your explanation. Oh, yeah. I, I, I understand. I mean, I, I think that, that this is confusing for the public. Um, what I'm saying is not activism. It's actually just what good science shows. Uh, and, I, and I think it's actually really helpful that he's been able to put this there. So I think sometimes once you understand what the science actually shows, it just seems so obvious. You wonder how could anyone disagree? Maybe even forget even how you thought about it differently. And I think it's really helpful to see that this sort of misunderstanding about the science is actually quite prevalent. Hmm. Uh, Dr. Swamidas, we just have time for probably one more question here. But I know this issue is so important to you. And this idea of our deeply interconnected origins, the idea that we're not just these different groups. We're all one. What do you hope a greater awareness of that can add to the national dialogue that's going on now? So it's it's true that there's a lot. Uh, well, race is a complex, uh, complex idea. It's a complex thing. It's had a huge impact on the conversation. People talk about it from several different points of view. Uh, I, I just say that science does have uh, a voice that could be helpful here. That can that has an opportunity to be more about just power struggles between different people, but actually really trying to understand and get a better understanding of really what it is that the evidence shows about who we are on a biological level. And I think that that's helpful because, and we don't have to be afraid of it either, because it turns out this actually really is deflationary in the best sense of the world. It means that a lot of the ways we've seen differences rooted in our essential nature maybe aren't. And that means that maybe some of these things, some of the ways the world is can be changed. 
Well, there's a, a note of hope there. So Dr. Joshua Swamidas of Washington University, I want to thank you so much uh, for joining us today. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. That's 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.